Welcome to the Global Connection, a Tel Aviv University podcast. Journey with us as we discover how TAU's academic community and friends are engaging with and helping to shape this ever-changing world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Global Connection. Uh, today, I have Dr. Yoav Fromer with me. Uh, he is the head of the Center for the Study of the United States at Tel Aviv University and a fellow in the School of Government and Diplomacy. Dr. Fromer holds a PhD in politics and history from New York's The New School, and his work has been published in journals such as Review of Politics, Modern Intellectual History, American Jewish History, and the Journal of American Studies. His latest book, which came out in 2020 with the University Press of Kansas, is called The Moderate Imagination, The Political Thought of John Updike and the Decline of New Deal Liberalism. Now, Yoav also happens to teach the wildly popular course, Modernity and Its Discontents, through the International Liberal Arts uh, Bachelor's Program here at TAU. Now, I've heard from several students that it's been their favorite course, and that piqued my interest and curiosity enough to ask Yoav to join me here today. So welcome, Yoav. Uh, thank you for having me. So whether it's a fair question or not, I think question number one is, why do you think it's such a popular course? Uh, first of all, I'm always happy to hear this because every, every year, uh, been, this is the 10th year now that I've been teaching it. Uh, and uh, even after 10 years, I've had obviously a lot of positive feedback. It's always great to hear that the students genuinely are still connecting with it because I'll, I'll be honest, there's uh, the more time passes, uh, I, I, I ask myself how relevant are these things exactly because of, you know, the the technology and the smartphones that and, and chat GPT now that has entered the conversation that always it challenges us as teachers and it always uh, forces us and forced me actually to, to actually always think uh, if I need to refresh the course and change it. But but it's it, primarily because of the overwhelming positive student feedback. I, I, I know we're doing something right. So I'm, I'm sticking with it. OK, OK. Um, you, you do raise some good points, but uh, before we sort of jump into some of those questions, could you could you give me an overview of the course? Yeah. So uh, I I always tell students this uh, with, without being without I'll tr I try not to be too uh, presumptuous or anything or uh, but but I think at the end of the day th this isn't just a regular course uh, and I I've, I try to make it more than just an academic experience because I think it's it's an intellectual experience. Uh, and again, without sound, sounding pompous, I, I also I think it's a personal and an emotional experience that every student has to undergo when you get a liberal arts call uh, a liberal arts degree, right? And I take uh, the idea of the liberal arts very seriously, especially today, because uh, just because of how the market works. And at the end of the day, most students come to the university first and foremost uh, for professional reasons, right? And 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 strategic reasons to to get a degree, to get a good job, and that's fair. Uh, and, and I understand that. I respect that. Uh, but I also think that a, a college education, especially a liberal arts education, demands uh, some other things. Uh, it, it means that what we're doing isn't only instilling in students uh, certain skills that they could take to the, to the job market. That, of course, that's important. But I think uh, students are, st are students, uh, they're future employees. Uh, they're part of the labor force, but they're, they're citizens. Uh, and they're human beings, uh, and I, I say this with the highest respect in that sense, and I think we need to help prepare them, because to be a citizen and, and to be a human being in the 21st century uh, is, is harder, I think, than it was in the past. Uh, and just very broadly, that's 
the point, right? I think that students need to get certain skills to cope uh, with the challenges of modernity, right? And that's that's what the course does. And it does so in a, a very historical and, and cultural manner that goes back to, to those great texts, right? In order to try to find a way to deal with uh, challenges and problems that obviously they've evolved and, and changed in the last two, 300 years, uh, but at the core, there's still the same questions, mm-hmm. right? That h- mm-hmm. how do we deal as individuals in, in a modern world? Uh, and that just, you know, just in, in a nutshell is, is kind of what the course tries to do. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's providing that context to help us understand a little bit more how we can navigate modernity. Um, given that, how, how would you define modernity in the context of your course? Uh, well, first of all, it's, it's always a question that everyone raises in day one, right? What is modernity? And even that sense, I, I, the, I can't give you one answer. And that, in a way, that's the journey of the course, that we evolve and we try to understand what is modernity. So on one hand, it's a historical epoch, right? We're looking at, at a certain time frame with, this, uh, with time and space also. And that's also a question. Is modernity only something that emerges in Western Europe, right? And then also kind of is exported to North America and, and the colonies that, that the Europeans, European empires kind of uh, uh, create. Uh, so is it only that, uh, you know, era uh, that it, that has certain changes? Is it a material existence, right? Is it the material changes, first and foremost, uh, driven by technology and the scientific revolution? Uh, or is it a state of mind, uh, uh, a sensibility, right? A way of looking at the world. Uh, and I think in, in a way, it's all these things together. But but that is the, kind of, that is the journey that I, that I try to, 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 lead students through but I myself and I I always joke when I tell students this but you know in, in a way this is <laughs> this is a replacement for therapy right okay. instead, of, instead of having therapy you can just the fact that I have the privilege and really I, I see it as one of the great privileges of my life uh, to be able to come every year to come back to these great texts right to Kant and Voltaire and Marx and, and Balzac and Nietzsche and, and Dostoevsky and, and so forth uh and read them, and reread them, and rethink them, and discuss them with students, uh, most, if not all of whom, are brilliant in their own manner. And every year, I, I learn something new. You know, I'm not just saying that's one of those okay. things I would say. Okay. And I okay. think about these texts in a new way. Uh, so that's part of why I think this is such an incredible experience. Okay. Um, so it's a bit of an expansive look at what modernity can be. And in terms of the timeline of the course, some of the philosophers you've mentioned, so Kant, you know, you're starting with the Enlightenment and you're going into the 20th, 21st century. Um, so how important is it for you um, to, as you unpack what modernity might mean and the, the multiple definitions of modernity, uh, how important is it to have sort of that bird's eye view or like grand sweeping look at moderni- modernity from the 17th century up until the post-war, World War II period? Uh, I th- I think you know the 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 title of the course is modernity and its discontent, mm-hmm. right? And in a way, it's framed in a way to show the the promise, right? And then again, maybe the disappointment. I don't want to say collapse, uh, but certainly, right? We we start off in a way, right? If we're thinking about the modern experience as it has emerged in the West. Uh, and part of this is also a story of geography, right? And one of the things we discuss in the course is, is modernity Western, right? 
uh, can't we have multiple modernities, right? Can't, can't modernity or can modernity sustain itself in, in other places, right? Is there certainly an Asian modernity, right? So think about Japan or China, some of the most modern countries in the world, right? But then one of these questions is, wait, is modernity only material, right? Can you only have a material, technological, capitalist, highly developed industrial or post-industrial economy now without having the values and the institutions that bred them, right? What happens if you have a technologically advanced country like Germany in the 1930s and 40s of the 20th century, but that cannot sustain the institutions and ideals, first and foremost, democratic liberalism or social democracy, uh, what happens, right? And there's a certain, there's obviously a threat there, right? That, that is what happens in the Third Reich, that what, what happens with Imperial Japan, uh, so, you know, these are, and that's a, some of the broader questions. Uh, and, and I think we, what, one of the things that I try to get students to understand and why I bring them up to the 21st century is that in a world that uh, takes for granted that technology is, is a wonderful thing, and it is, right? It is, certainly. And, 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 and obviously, Tao is one of the leaders in entrepreneurship and, and, and technological innovation, right? We, we have to understand uh, that it bears a cost, that it forces us to sacrifice certain things. Uh, that, of course, doesn't undermine the development of technology, but it forces us to be much more responsible and aware, right, in, in how we develop it and how we use it. Of course, now with AI and, and ChatGPT, these questions are even more urgent. Okay. Do you think it's possible today to even separate our thinking from, I guess, our, our anchoring in modernity? Um, like, is it so all-encompassing that... Um... I, I think one of the, the great struggles of our time still, and, and again, this is a very, you know, large, broad historical view of if I'm thinking about, you know, Western history, but re even global history in the, of the last 300 years in the sweeping arc of, of you know, of modernity, I, I think it is the question of dealing with modernity. If you break down all the contemporary problems, certainly in Israel today, Right. Obviously, in Israel, in Israeli society, around religion, right? that, that was one of the fundamental dilemmas of modernity. You know, what, what do we do? We, because one of the hallmarks of modernity is emerging out of religion or a certain perception of religion. Right. These are, of course, a lot of these questions are contested. And, and the course is a, is a I don't want to say it's a debate, but it's a conversation uh, and it lends itself to arguing or at least discussing because these are there are no answers right that's one of the things i always tell students right that, that there, i have no answers all i'm going to give you is more and more questions okay but, but you have to ask yourself these questions and that's what the course does it forces you uh so just just excuse uh, just coming back to your question then about something like religion uh you know uh th these these are the fundamental questions that we're still dealing with today 300 years after right I mean, uh, after uh, 250 years after kant and 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 you know the enlightenment thinkers who were trying to break away from looking at the world right kind of through the the, the monotheistic through the the church certainly in western europe or, or even in judaism right through through orthodoxy and ask and then placing ourselves as individuals in the center of the universe and the questions of agency Mm -hmm. Right. What does that mean? And I think these questions, when they, they emerged kind of 300 years ago, more or less in the 18th century, but they're still with us today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, going back to that idea that modernity can mean a lot of different things. Um, it's looking at it from a Western sensibility, but you can look at it more expansively, too, from from other cultures um, and traditions. But if we if we are to sort of take that Western trajectory, 
Um, I'd even like to take a step back and just some of the major themes um, related to modernity. So from my understanding, you know, in the 17th century with the Enlightenment, it's about the age of reason. And so you talk about civilization and the development of civilization as sort of um, going in this direction related to reason, democracy, technical development. Um, you could probably do a much better job than me, but can can you sort of step back and just talk about some of the major themes yeah, sure. related to the development of modernity? Sure. So, so when we, you know, so I, I, there's a historical context when I break down modernity. Uh, obviously, there's first and foremost there's the intellectual history, that and for me that's the most important. Thing, the, uh, the, the 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 difference in looking at the world. Right. And, uh, you know, Max Weber, the, the German sociologist, called it the moment of disenchantment. Uh, and I think I like that because it's suddenly you're looking at the stars. Uh, and you're not looking at the stars the same way, you know, people used to look at the stars before that moment. It's, it's, it's that epiphany. Right. And I, I'm, you know, I'm using that personal but I'm, example, but I'm, I'm, this is a sweeping trend that begins, obviously, among elites. Right, it takes a couple of hundred years for it to kind of uh, trickle down, but uh, it's looking at the world differently and placing ourselves in the middle. There's that line, uh, right? I think it's from uh, from uh, Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, right? The fault lies uh, not in the, not in the stars, but in ourselves, right? I think Cassius tells Brutus this after they, I think it's after they kill Caesar, but anyway. But that's you know that's that moment where where everything is flipped, it's inverted because the Greek tragedy, the ancient world, always suggested that we don't have agency, right? That's the point of Greek tragedy. And I always, I always begin with that line because that means that someone else is always responsible for fate on a personal but also civilizational level, right? And, and the, the, I think the transformation of modernity on an intellectual level is that, wait, suddenly it's us. That bears a huge historical and psychological weight that suddenly, you know, people understand. Yeah, that changes the way everything works, the, the, the way we respond to our society, we live our lives, obviously socially, politically, economically. So that's the intellectual intellectual shift. But as you suggest, right, modernity is also economic. Certainly the transition to, to from an agrarian, feudalist society to, to capitalism, to markets, to global trade as the central engine, right? And what that means, that entails also, you know, the, 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 the division of labor, the change in how we work out of the family it used to be, right, in a lot, in most of Western Europe, right, if, if you have a family-based economy, uh, you're tied to the land, right? Suddenly, urbanization, right? All the great sociological changes. So that's, right, we have the, the, the economic, the sociological changes. Capitalism that obviously leads to industrialism and, and in the late 20th century, post-industrialism, right? And you have the political changes, the, the consolidation of nation states, modern bureaucracy, and of course, liberal democracy that eventually emerges in, in, in North America and Western Europe, uh, and, and also cultural, Obviously, all of these things are tied together. Modernity as a new form of literature, of music, of art. We do a lot of... This is a very interdisciplinary course because I, I don't think you can understand romanticism mm -hmm. by just reading a Goethe, which we do. We read Goethe, but we listen to Beethoven's Fifth, and we look at the art of Caspar David Friedrich, right? Kind of the German romantics, because every, everything goes together, right? That is part of kind of the, the broader picture. That's why I think you, you have to look at all these different trends. Okay. Now, now in terms of the discontents or the disenchantment, um, do you see that um, or the way you talk about it in the course, is that something that is very bound up from with modernity from the beginning? Um, is it an outcome? Um, how, how do you approach the discontents of modernity? 
Uh, well, uh, here, this is the second part of the course. And I, I try not to depress students and I tell them, this is, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want you to give up or I don't want to depress. I, I just want to make you aware, right? I just want you to think about it critically. And so I have all these students who come to me, oh my God, you know, after you, because it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very heavy load because suddenly we read Kafka and we read Dostoevsky. And they're like, and they get very depressed. And Conrad's Heart of Darkness, and it is dark. Uh, and I say, well, okay, so don't, don't give up on modernity, but just you know, be more careful. Think about it more critically. So uh, th this is one of the great questions, right? Was the discontent, was the, the, the collapse, the internal uh, destruction mechanism inherent in modernity? Could it have been avoided? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I certainly, but I, I always... I, I think about modernity the, uh, through a tragic lens. Much of my scholarship, also I write about American politics, is, is through the lens of tragedy. Uh, and in that sense, I, th I think modernity is an expression of human tragedy because uh, we tried to, you know, to do so much, and it has so much potential. And we begin, I mean, the 18th and 19th centuries are the age of utopia. These, this is the great moment where you could harness reason and science and liberate humankind. Right. But that that what I just said, that same, you know, justification is also unfortunately leads to all of these uh, dystopian totalitarian regimes. Right. Certainly the Soviet Union and, and communist China and, and, and so forth. Uh, uh, so so it's always that question. And, and we end with, you know, we end the course with the Holocaust, with the gulags and with the atom bombs. Right. And it's that great question of how is it possible that the same forces of science that liberated mankind and really just transformed our life and, you know, uh, just in terms of, of health and longevity, right, and, and the quality of life, which has expanded and, and improved just tenfold, just uh, remarkably. So how is it possible that the same ideas that bred all the wonderful things of modernity are the same ideas that end up also creating the atom bomb, mm -hmm. right, and all these mm -hmm. weapons of mass destruction mm -hmm. and all these forces that, that take... The, 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 the potential for good and right they invert them and they lend themselves to catastrophe and that's right that's that inherent tension okay um, you mentioned earlier that it's a very interdisciplinary course um, so you bring in a lot of art whether it's visual art whether it's music whether it's literature um, and and so what is art's role in helping us to understand maybe even that very complicated relationship that you've set up between modernity and these outcomes that um, in some ways are catastrophic. Uh, so I, th I think you, you're right. You touched on the word complicated. Uh, text are, obviously, we, we look at text, that's what we do in the liberal arts, but they can only get us so far. Uh, there's a certain emotional power that art and music have that words just don't have. Right, words have a lot of their own power, uh, but it's it's at those moments of complexity that art is able to get across certain messages, not through the mind, but through the heart. I think and and the sentiment, in a way that words don't, aren't always capable of doing. And and also remember, I again, I, you know, we're living in the twenty first century. Students are are are, are much more comfortable. Uh, looking at, at, at images, right? That's the world. We live in a world of images. We have since, you know, since the last 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's something about, if I just think of some of the images, you know, if, if we're talking about romanticism, then, then you know, poetry and, and literature, it, it, it 
it is a very important part in representing that. But when you look at, at the images of Caspar David Friedrich's perceptions of nature, that power uh, and that powerlessness of human beings in the face of, 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 the, of, you know, of these forests and mountains that, that Friedrich, and, and oceans that Friedrich paints so dramatically, or you listen to Beethoven's Fifth, right? That, I think, right, that conveys certain sentiments uh, that words can't always express. Right. Um, so, so you've given two examples of uh, romantic artists right there. And, you know, one of the major themes related to romanticism and modernity has to do with this longing for nature um, in terms of the discontent. And so um, that, that turning towards the, uh, yeah, what, what nature offers us in terms of um, its implications for the divine, its implications for anything that isn't rational in a way. Um, so how do you tackle, or, or how does nature, the relationship between nature and modernity sort of play into? It, it's a huge question because, right, nature, I mean, it has also the religious uh, uh, ramifications, but, you know, uh, uh, the story of modernity in a way is also the, the shift in our relationship to nature because up until this moment, we accept nature in a way, right? Uh, and and we, we are we are bound by the laws of nature. Also, just in historical thinking, right? The way we think about history is, is tied to nature, the seasonal, the cyclical. The Greeks, the Romans, they thought about nature in a cyclical, excuse me, about history, like nature, in a cyclical mm-hmm. manner. Mm-hmm. One of the things that changes with modernity is also the way we think about history. Suddenly, it's progressive, it's linear. It moves. It moves away from the cycles of nature, right? And here you see reflected the the, the changes that you mentioned because uh, modernity changes the relationship between man and nature. It lends, I I think it does two things. First, uh, man conquers nature, right? That is part of the modern story. Uh, What romanticism does, I I think, and this is the way I, I set it up, romanticism is, it's also a modern experience, right? It's a reaction to enlightenment, but it, it is the conquest of man by nature in the sense of our, our spirit, our emotions. We succumb to nature, right? And we express it through our, through our actions, through our emotions, ideas, uh, poetry, uh, music, uh, etc. Uh, but I, I think nature is, on one hand, it's a force, it's a source, excuse me, of liberation and refuge. Uh, if, if I'm just thinking about uh, something like Goethe and Werther, The Sorrows of Young Werther, which we read early on in the semester, right? Uh, nature's liberating certainly moving into the 19th century when we have urbanization and a lot of this is, all, is also about the environment, right? And our changing relationship to the environment. Nature is a good thing. It's a place of refuge. It's a place of sobriety, right? Away from kind of, you know, the, 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 the troubles and challenges of, of urban modern life. But that also has a, a price, right? And if I'm thinking uh, about Conrad's Heart of Darkness, nature is also very dangerous and dark, mm-hmm because it's our nature, right? Mm-hmm. And if we are conquered by human nature uh, and, and human nature has a dark side, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the whole point. That's, I think, what Conrad's trying to tell us in, in, the, in the legendary, right? In the iconic kind of character of, of Kurtz uh, in Heart of Darkness. Uh, so it's also very dangerous because if we move too far away from nature, which is maybe what happens uh, because of enlightenment, we're pulled back. And we're pulled back in a very unbound, in a very dangerous manner, right? In the sense of being uninhibited by any laws and rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. I think even with that example, uh, you did a really great job of sort of walking through to how 
our relationship to different ideas are historically specific. And so you see them shift, like even uh, how nature is represented um, in art that shifts during periods of modernity. Um, I can imagine you probably had some pretty good discussions with uh, the students. Um, are any are there any sort of discussions or debates that sort of happen time and again each time you teach it, or or that really stand out? Yeah. Um, uh, I first of all, I, I think about the the question of of discontents, right, and and determinism. Because a lot of students come at the end, especially I know something happened for read Dostoevsky's Underground Man. They got a lot of the, a lot of students are are kind of are like giving up and like, oh my God, maybe Dostoevsky was right. Maybe you know, maybe this is too much for us, in a sense, right? This is too much. Modernity lays too much responsibility on the individual. Maybe we're unable to deal with it. Right? And it's kind of one of the questions Dostoevsky raised in the Brothers Karamazov. We don't read that. That's too long. But we read Underground Man. Uh, and that's always something that they come back to. And, and, and I said, look, I, it's not the question isn't now, all right, so let's give up and go. But what, what are you going to go back to? You can't go back. It's a Pandora's box. You, can, you can't, you know, it's like a, you can't go back. That's the point. There is no, and again, part of this is such a contemporary course, even though it's we're going back 300 years to read things from the 18th and 19th century. I mean, these are the questions today. You cannot go back to a religious society, even if you wanted to, right? Even the, the most religious people in Israel, the Haredim, there's certain things, right? Technology, medicine, uh, bureaucracy that, that even they embrace because they understand, right? Everyone understands in a way, then it doesn't matter if you're secular or religious, that there's certain things that, that we can't go back. So then the question is that, that they raise the students is, right, how do I move forward then? Do, do I go back? Do I, you know, and, and it's all some kind of, you know, a synthesis. And they have to somehow map. And it's an individual question. What do I take uh, from the past, from traditions, right? Uh, and w w what do I create for myself when I move forward? You know, how novel, how modern am I? And, and that's the privilege of modernity, that it lets us make these decisions, right? We, we couldn't, no one could do these, these things 300 years ago. So that's one thing, I think. And it's all about agency today. The second has to do with women's rights. And that always comes up. It's a great conversation that we have. We read Ibsen, uh, Doll's House, right? It's a wonderful play. And then we read Virginia Woolf. And there's always this question of uh, what does it mean to be a feminist, right? Can men be feminists? Because, uh, you know, we shift from a man writing about women's rights to Virginia Woolf writing about. And, and I always, I raise the question, what, what, what changed? And, you know, uh, and, and these are always questions also, I think, that, that is a feminist in the 19th and 18th century, would she be considered a feminist today? And a lot of that also raises the questions of, of the limits of feminism and, and LGBTQ rights, you know, and, and how we synthesize these questions today. Okay. Um, so speaking of how we think about it today, uh, if we were to define ourselves as modern today, what, what do you think modernity today looks like and means? Just to give you a, a really small question. Uh, well, uh, that, you know, first of all, to answer that, you have to take the course. Right? Uh -huh. uh, but, okay. uh, but seriously, I, I ask myself that question every year and I come up with a new answer. Uh, and again, that that's it. It's that if, if I needed, you know, just this, this, this silver lining here would be, I think, that it's a perpetual question that reinvents itself every, all the time. And that's the beauty, I, th I think, of modernity and the modern experience, that we constantly shift and we constantly change our, our 
our uh, definitions and our expectations. Uh, and, and we can constantly reinvent ourselves and reinv- as individuals, but also as societies and, and nation states and maybe you know, on a global scale. Uh, and that's something that modernity allows us to do again, because again, it's that, it's that sensibility. It's that way of looking at that world, at the world and knowing we can change it, right? Uh, but also thinking about that in a very critical manner and being aware of, of the potential hazards and that I think is, is overall what, what I try to do in the course. Okay. Well, Yoaf, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. All right, my pleasure. Thank you very much.